God is good. Oh, I kind of heard it. God is good. There we go. And all the time. I'd like to invite Nathan to come on up. I forgot to grab the microphone. Nathan is going to read a scripture for us right up here. I got a mic right here, right front and center. All right. Everybody, this is Nathan. Say hi. I love you, Lord, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. Awesome job. Thank you. Pray with me, Lord, as we begin a journey this morning, as we seek to open your word and seek to hear from you, please break me, Lord, may your light shine through, may the words that I say today be from you, please remove any obstacle that I might have that would get in the way of what you have to say to us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, so a few weeks ago, actually maybe two weeks ago, um, it was a bittersweet day because two weeks before that, uh, my Kansas City Chiefs had lost. And two weeks ago, the Super Bowl was happening. And the Super Bowl is about a couple things. Um, and more and more, it's becoming less about the football, and sometimes it's more about all the other stuff that happens. But there was a commercial that just stuck with me, and I'm going to invite you to relive this experience with me now. Um, but check this video out. Are we... Ready to go? Let's see what happens. I'm one of 41 million Americans who owe their second chance to first responders. Without you brave heroes being out there day after day doing what you do, so many of us wouldn't be here today doing what we do. We aren't just people who live among you. We're people who were given a second chance because of you. I remember laying on the cold pavement. I was kind of going in and out, and I just prayed. I thought for sure I was dead. I coach a team with a lot of elite athletes, and they're very talented, and they get a lot of attention. But you guys are elite as well. You don't do it for contracts. You don't do it for the fame, you know, and you're not celebrities. You're getting called away from your families constantly, and they never know if you're coming back home. You guys are truly heroes. You may not know this, but in 2005, I was in a horrible car accident, and they told me that I flew 45, 50 feet in the air. I promise you I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the first responders. Hi, Coach. My name is Jim Brittle. This is my partner, Craig Kelly. We're the first two first responders on scene. Coach, my name is Skyla Bosco. I was the paramedic that evening with engineer Dave Mendoza. Hi, Coach. 
about you know who showed up that night and who was there. I never thought I'd see you. I mean, this is unbelievable. They said I had to have some angels with me that night to survive. I believe that. And I, I believe you guys are angels. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I, I hope that I'm not alone when I confess that almost every time I watch that, I mean, is it onions in this room, or I don't know what it is, but I know. Marketers, I wish I could tell stories like marketers can, because in a 30-second commercial, now that was a Super Bowl-sized commercial, but in a 30-second commercial, and there are some, I will be welling up looking away from my wife so that she doesn't know that I'm welling up from some silly commercial. But this story is powerful because from that one event, from the first responders, the people coming in and rescuing rescuing him, there is a connection. Even without a knowledge, even without a relationship, there is a connection between those people. And we see it, and it can move us instantly when we see him meeting for the first time those who rescued him, those who saved him that evening, we just are all drawn together and understand that even without any knowledge, there is a connection. There is a relationship. There is something between those first responders and that man who was saved. Today we are talking about deliverance. Throughout history, God has sent first responders in the form of people like Moses that we've talked about already today. God has sent people to come and share the message that God's deliverance is available to each and every one of us. And that is what we're going to be looking at today. I want you to think about this. The Bible is the story of God's acts of deliverance through his infinite love. If somebody were to ask you, what's the main gist of the Bible? I would probably suggest that you share it this way, that it's the story of God's acts of deliverance through his infinite love. Deliverance, some of you may agree with that, may disagree with that a little bit. There might be other words we like to Use. But deliverance is just another way of saying salvation. The salvation that God offers us is deliverance. And the deliverance and the salvation is that of being delivered from the sin and suffering that we are a part of. And so I want to look at thematically this story of deliverance. If you've been reading along with us um, as, the, as we read through the Bible... Um, We're reading through the Bible together as a church family. And if you're not on board yet, I invite you to get on board. It's easy to do. Just need to talk to Walt, Pastor Walt. He can add you on to that app if you want to join us. Or you can just read along, um, you know, using the old-fashioned word and paper kind of system. That works too. 
But we have just finished reading through the book of Exodus, and I was just reminded of the story of deliverance that runs throughout the Bible. And so we're going to jump off that and look at God's deliverance. There's three things. Three things that make up God's stories, the stories of God's deliverance. First off, God hears. God is involved. God is paying attention. The world wants to tell us in order to make sense of what we see that God must could have started it all, but he must have left. But the story of the Bible tells us that God hears and is still intimately involved in our lives, both throughout history and this very day. The story of deliverance is based on the fact that God acts first. No story of deliverance in the Bible is the result of human action motivating God to do something. Deliverance comes from God acting first. All acts of God's deliverance are totally His initiative. They're totally His doing. I know we, Pastor Waltz talked about it many times. Pagan religions, the idea behind false pagan religions is the fact that we are trying to convince gods, convince the gods to do something on our behalf and it requires manipulation and motivation. And a couple of weeks ago we talked about prayer and I know Walt, Pastor Waltz always talking about how prayer is not man, us manipulating God to do what we want. We do not manipulate God. He acts first. His acts of deliverance are totally based on His love and His mercy and are totally and completely His initiative. There is nothing we can do to manipulate or motivate God to do any more to deliver us than He is already doing. God acts first. And in the stories of deliverance in the Bible... God always sends a shepherd, a first responder. He sends someone to help be his mouthpiece, to help be his hands and feet. And so we're going to look at those things. And we, we won't pull all three of them out of each story that we look at, but we will see that they are all there. The first story of deliverance that we've just been reading about and talking about is the Exodus. The Exodus of the Israelites from their 400 years, 400 plus years that they spent away from home in the land of Egypt. So the Exodus, let's look at these things. So the Bible says, Exodus chapter 3, verse 9, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. This is God speaking to Moses on that mountain where the bush was burning but not being consumed out of the bush god is speaking it says and now the cry of the israelites has reached me and i have seen the way the egyptians are oppressing them the cry of the suffering the cry of those in need always reaches god's ears 
when we are in those places where we are crying and just wondering if God is hearing us, know that the cries are reaching God. He hears us. God heard the Egyptians. Continuing on in the very next verses, speaking to Moses, So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God prepared a shepherd. But the cool thing about this is, is that this wasn't, this wasn't a well-spoken, this wasn't the most educated, the person that we might assume would be qualified. And whenever you start using those kind of words, the little cliche always has to come out of my mouth. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those that he calls. And Moses was not one who we would have thought by worldly standards could have been the leader, a leader able to lead out millions of of Israelites through the desert. He was not the spokesman that we would have picked. But God said, I have chosen you. And Moses went. When God calls us, when God works in our lives, when God speaks to us, when he is giving us the authority and the power to speak on his behalf, God sends someone that we can relate to, that we can understand, who can speak in our language. God sends the shepherd. This next verse, I just want to spend a little time on. If I were to ask you, which the answer is clear now, how do the Ten Commandments start? You would all say, you would, hopefully you would not say, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. When we talk about the Ten Commandments, we must understand that the Ten Commandments start with this promise. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. This is what the Ten Commandments are based on. And this is the result, this this covenant that's given to them at Sinai, this rescuing from Egypt, all of the works of deliverance that God is working are his initiative and the response is only based on what God has done, not anything we're hoping that we can make God do. God is saying that, listen, I came, I rescued you, I pulled you out of this bondage. Therefore, here's what it's like to live as a free person. And he gives the Ten Commandments. I won't take all the time to talk about this, but I think, I know it's been talked about here before, a concept of covenants can be a little confusing and not too long ago, 50, 60 years ago or so, um, they discovered this covenant, this type of covenant that was done between kings and and vassals, you know, and it's called the suzerain vassal um, covenant. And maybe you've heard of it, and if you haven't, um, it's an amazing thing to look up. But there's some key components to that kind of a covenant that come out in the Ten Commandments and what God is doing. 
And the first, the things of note, if you don't know anything about it, the things to just know right now are that it always begins with the person, the greater person, if you will, the king, stating what they've done to deserve this covenant, what they've done in your life. And it starts off God doing this saying, hey, I'm the one who have brought you deliverance and I have brought you out of the land of Egypt. He states that. And following that come the stipulations. Out of It is only after God has said, here's what I've already done for you. Here comes what the covenant's about, what it looks like to live. The other cool thing, at the end of this, there are always two copies of this covenant given out. And I didn't realize until just a few years ago, we always see the pictures of the commandments and we see the two tablets of stone. We know that Moses had two tablets of stone. But the Bible tells us that those tablets were written on both sides. So the Ten Commandments were written. It essentially was God's photocopy machine happening. Now, to chisel it out of rock by human standards would have taken a long time. But I do think God probably did this quicker than our Xerox machine would copy the piece of paper. Um, there are two copies. The point being that the king gets a copy of the covenant. And the vassal gets a copy of the covenant. But the cool thing about the Ten Commandments is that both of them were placed into God's ark. He's saying, hey, listen, I'm the one who is in charge of this covenant. And I'm also the one who would pay the penalty if the covenant is broken. And this is, it's so cool. It's such a great thing. And that's all the time. Trust me, I have just scratched the surface on this concept. But understand that God is saying he acts first. In all instances of deliverance, God acts first. There's one other feature that we need to understand about the Israelites. The Israelites were brought into Egypt when Jacob, when Israel and his sons needed food and they go in and we know the story of Joseph and he's there and he saved food and God brings them into Egypt to sustain them in a time when there was great famine. And so they were brought there and succeeded well. When we talk about the Israelites being in bondage for 400 years, that's that's a little misleading because they actually were living very well and prospering for many years. It was only until generations when they were doing too well that they began to the Egyptians began to oppress. But the point is that the Israelites did nothing to deserve this bondage. They had done nothing. God had brought them there to save them. And they had lived there and prospered and done nothing other than to just do very well and become a great nation and then cause fear in the Egyptians to bring on their bondage. This was not brought about by any of their own acts. But their relationship with God as the Israelites are being led out and being delivered from bondage, the relationship with God is based on his acts of deliverance. The relationship is rooted in God's acts of deliverance. The second, um, the second bondage deliver, act of deliverance that we want to look at is the exile. About 400 years or so after they come out of Egypt, The Israelites have made mistake after mistake and God has warned them and warned them. 
and giving them all these things. And finally, the kingdoms are split and they go into captivity um, and they go into, into Babylon for 70 years. God still follows his plan of deliverance. This is what the Lord says. As his people have disobeyed and constantly forsaken God, this is his words to them as they are in bondage. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer who forms you in the womb, I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heaven, who spreads out earth by myself who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited, of the towns of Judah, they shall be rebuilt, and of their ruins I will restore them. Do you hear God reminding them of what he has done in their life? He's saying, I am creator I am redeemed her. I have redeemed you once, but I'm going to redeem you again. The Jerusalem, the temple, the walls, the cities that were destroyed, they will be rebuilt. God is saying, listen, I understand, but before you were delivered, remember what I have already done for you in the past. He even sends a shepherd in the couple verses down from what we just read in Isaiah. God is talking... He says about Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. God is saying, hey, listen, I'm going to redeem you. Here's what I've done that why you deserve to follow me. Here's what I'm going to do to deliver you. And I'm going to send somebody who is going to make that happen. And he sends a shepherd. This story of deliverance is a little different because as we look at the reasons for their captivity, we can clearly see that for hundreds of years, the Israelites have been turning their back on God, have been constantly not following his commands, have not been doing what he's asked them to do, And they've been warned and they have fallen into these traps and have turned away. And the only way that God can get a hold of their attention is to break up their nation, to send them into captivity again. They totally and utterly deserve the consequences of being in captivity. They have earned this. They have constantly turned their back on God. But even then... Even though they deserve this, God still comes out and says, I'm your redeemer. I am going to deliver you. You still are worthy. And their relationship with God is based on his acts of deliverance. Not their acts and not what they've done to define the relationship. But God is saying, listen, my relationship with you is based on my desire to call you my children, my desire to spend time with you, my desire to have you be my people. The relationship is not based on their actions. The relationship is based on God's actions, on God's actions on their behalf. A third 
story of deliverance. Moving through to the New Testament, the lost sheep. Another story we know well of deliverance. The Bible says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice, I have found my lost sheep. A story of deliverance that has a shepherd. Only this time the shepherd is Jesus. A story that has someone who is caught and we can look at sheep and, you know, criticize them for being dumb animals because they kind of are in some ways. Although I've heard somebody try to convince me that they're not as dumb as we think they are. I'm not entirely sure. But we know this sheep has gone astray for whatever reason. It followed whatever green blade of grass was in front of its nose and didn't realize it had gone away or it was an adventurous, rebellious teenage sheep and thought it would check the grass over the edge or whatever. We don't know what the sheep has done, but the sheep is helpless, lost, is crying out. I can just hear the bleats of the sheep. But much more, yeah, much more needy. I mean, it would be even worse than that. That that sounded more in trouble sheep. So I'm done with my sheep impersonations. But we know the sheep is crying out. The shepherd hears the voice because the shepherd knows his sheep and he goes out and finds it and brings it home. And we we can just envision the pictures that we've seen. The sheep over the shoulder, blood trickling down its nose and down its leg. But it's over the shepherd's shoulders as it's brought home. A story of deliverance. A story of rescue. A story of salvation for that one sheep. And the Bible tells us that God does not, is not concerned that he's got 99% in school. And in most things in life, if we have a 99% success rate, we're doing very well. We're doing very well. But God is not concerned with doing very well. He's concerned with 100%. It is about having all his sheep together about having them all delivered and safely in his fold. God wants all of us to be there and offers this deliverance for all of us. But the relationship here between the sheep and the shepherd is still based, is still rooted in the act of deliverance that the shepherd offers, the act of deliverance that God offers So often we talk about our relationship with God, about knowing God. We must always remember that our relationship with God is rooted in what he has first done for us. The Bible tells us we love because he first loved us. It is because of what God has done for us, that he even has, even begins to request that we have a relationship with him. We are the ones who broke it. 
We are the ones who continually break it, sometimes by choice, sometimes just by whatever, but we constantly break that relationship. But God is reminding us, listen, your relationship is not based on what you do or have done. It's based on what I do and have done for you. The relationship of the those who are delivered is based on God alone. And so we look at this, these stories of deliverance. And we maybe find ourselves saying, I just don't get the Israelites. I just don't get this group or that group. I just don't get my neighbor, my parent, my son, my spouse, my child. I just don't understand why they constantly turn or what it is that would lead them to turn our backs, their backs, my back on God. Why don't I have that love and affection for a stranger that Coach did in that commercial? People he's never met, but just instantly is moved to tears and me along with him, moved to tears when I see the story of someone meeting their Savior, their Redeemer. But yet, so often... We fear the deliverance that God offers us. So a question, why do we fear freedom? Freedom is a interesting concept and is one that has been taken over and means tons of different things in today's society. And what it means to be free. But why do we fear true freedom? Because as we've talked about before, and as we were looking at the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments were given there to release, to describe what it's like to not live in bondage. Therefore, the Ten Commandments aren't the gate, and I believe Walt just said this a couple weeks ago. The Ten Commandments aren't the fence that keeps us in. It's sin and slavery is the fence that keeps us in. We fear truly being free. And if you talk about being free from sin, it's not long before you get in a discussion of, does that mean I'm never going to sin again? And is there a perfect generation? What? No, I can't. It can't be because I know what I'm like. I just can't. I don't see that. But yet, why... If God said it could possibly happen that way, who cares? Why do I fear it so much? Why do I say, God, I want you to save me, but in my sins, not save me and deliver me from wanting to sin at all? Why, why do we fear freedom? There's some lessons that we can learn about freedom fear from the Israelites. Approximately one month, maybe a month and a half, after they have been delivered from bondage that they've been groaning and crying out to God about, the Israelites are begging to go back. They fear freedom. And one of the reasons is comfort with what we know. We fear freedom 
because we are comfortable where we are at. We fear freedom because the thought of moving to some place where we're not, to something that we don't know because we know slavery, we know bondage, we know captivity, we understand that. We are slaves to sin. We understand that. We know that. And so often when we have the opportunity for freedom, we turn and want to go back because we're comfortable with what we know. In numbers, we're uh, probably about a week away or so from reading this in our Bible readings. Um, But in Numbers chapter 16, Moses is having a disagreement with some people and they're disagreeing with Moses. And listen to this statement. Isn't it enough that you, Moses, have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey? Now remember, the promised land for generations has been referred to as a land flowing with milk and honey. And for all of you vegetalites out there, you can't say that without saying sounds sticky. Anybody with me? Okay, I can't possibly say land flowing with milk and honey, not say sounds sticky. But anyway, that's thanks to VeggieTales. Um, you have brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey. And now you also want to lord it over us. Moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. They were comfortable with what they knew. They were like, you know what? This land flowing with milk and honey, that yes, the price was bondage and forced labor and all that sort of stuff, but still, we had it going pretty good. We, it was flowing. I mean, it, it was. Egypt, this was the center of the economic world when the Israelites were there. This was the kingdom. And the Egyptians have enslaved them. And they're like, after a month, maybe two, it's it's a month and a half to two months, and they're like, okay, we're done. Send us back. We'll go back to this land of flowing with milk and honey that comes with a price, but we'll pay that price because we like what we have. We know that. We're comfortable. We fear freedom because of our comfort with what we know. We also have freedom fear because of our comfort with plenty, our comfort with excess. They've been out for a month and a half, and I may have gotten my facts straight, so if you're counting my facts and whatnot, every time I've talked about the month and a half, This is the text I'm really referring to, not the numbers one. So forgive me for making that little mistake. But this is the one where they've been out for a month and a half, and they're saying, if only we had died died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all that we wanted. But you have brought us into, you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. This is where God offers manna, bread from heaven. And their fear of freedom and their comfort with plenty and excess is not that they necessarily don't have food to eat. And it's maybe that not even the manna is not that good. 
because we're told it tastes like honey. But what they're really fearing and really missing is excess. When God gives the manna, they're told, go out and collect all that you need for one day. And the Israelites do that. But some of them go out and collect all that they want. And the next day, the manna has turned stank, stinky, and is filled with maggots. What they really were missing was not necessarily the kind of food. It was also the excess of food. Do you hear that? We sat around pots of meat. This is excess. This is life in excess. Freedom comes with understanding and trusting God and knowing that he's going to provide what we need, not what we want. And there is fear in that because what we need can sometimes not match up to what we think we need. But God knows. And so we fear freedom because of our comfort with what we know and comfort with plenty. The Israelites wanted to go back into bondage just months after being set free. After seeing miracles of walking through the Red Sea, they're like, we'll take that journey back because we, it's more comfortable there. I think in our lives, we suffer with that. I want to laugh at the Israelites there, but I think we suffer with the same affliction because we keep going back to the same sins. The Bible kind of talks about a dog returning to its vomit. We keep returning back because we fear the freedom that God offers us because it, it's astounding. It's without boundary. It's, it's, it doesn't define what we're supposed to do. We're turning over the definition of who we are to somebody else. And it is scary. We fear freedom. I fear. God offers us freedom. We may not feel that we're worthy of freedom. But today I'm telling you, reminding you and encouraging you to know that the freedom that God has shown us throughout the Bible, the freedom of deliverance that God has given throughout his word, Noah being delivered from that deluge of rain, Joseph being delivered from the dungeon and the pit, Jonah being delivered from the depths of the sea and from drowning. David being delivered time and again from death from Saul and from his mistakes. Paul and Silas being delivered from that prison that night. God throughout the Bible shows that deliverance is available and he shows that he wants to deliver us which remember is just another way of saying God offers salvation for us all and we can all have it and it's not based on what we've done to earn that relationship it's based on what God has shown us that he has done to earn our respect and our trust and he wants to deliver us from our sins I am the good shepherd I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Jesus is that shepherd that was sent to communicate 
this story of deliverance to us in a way that was so tangible that we still are in awe of it 2,000 years later. And we are told that throughout eternity, it will be the course of our study, that we will constantly be studying the cross and what it meant for the universe throughout eternity. God has offered us the deliverance. In closing, there's a quote from a little book called Christ Object Lessons written uh, many years ago that speaks to this, that speaks to the person who may be feeling that I'm not worthy, that God's deliverance isn't for me. Desponding soul, take courage, even though you have done wickedly. Do not think that perhaps God will pardon your transgressions and permit you to come into his presence. God has made the first advance. While you were in rebellion against him, he went forth to seek you, to seek me. With the tender heart of a shepherd, he left the 99 and went into the wilderness to find that which was lost. The soul bruised and wounded And ready to perish, he encircles in his arms of love and joyfully bears it to the fold of safety. God offers us deliverance. God offers us freedom. I pray today that we will step forth, not with the spirit of fear, that we will step forth into freedom and lovingly accept the crazy adventure, the abundant life that awaits, that we will accept God's deliverance, that we will follow him and say, thank you, God, for saving me. I want to experience that freedom, and I know it's going to scare me to death, but I'm still going to step forward and not look back. Are you willing to step forward today, forgetting the past, and embrace the freedom that God offers? Lord,